Good morning. Tis the sunny after Easter. What in the world do you do to follow that up? Well, we decided we would have a series on Jesus, Jesus' life and ministry. There's not much about Jesus' childhood. Luke 2 has two short pericopes about Jesus being baptized and then his moment at the temple when he was 12 years old. But we really go from the birth to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. All four Gospels, well, the synoptics elaborate on the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and John refers to it. I want to read Mark's account of Jesus coming out, Jesus' ordination, if you will. Mark wrote it this way, In the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So Mark began right away by linking Jesus' life and ministry to Old Testament prophetic writing. Isaiah said, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Matthew and Luke go into much more detail, but that very simple presentation introduces us to the coming out, the initiation of Jesus' ministry. Now, when we think about Jesus and the great events and the life that he lived and the ministry that he had, most people think, well, yeah, I know about the parables. I like the parables. And he did wonderful miracles. And, of course, at Christmas, we elaborate greatly on his birth. And then just last week, we talked about his crucifixion and his resurrection, these high moments. But rarely do we think about or talk about Jesus' baptism and his temptation. And yet the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptics, the three gospels that tell the story. Make sure that we understand, before Jesus began teaching, before be Jesus began preaching, before Jesus began doing miracles, he was baptized and he was sorely tempted by the devil. 
This event, this baptism, commissioned Jesus' ministry. Reading Mark again, at that time, at that time, at the time John was baptizing people for the repentance of their sins, at that time, Jesus, the sinless Son of God, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he too was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and God's Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, Dr. Craig Blomberg, a leading New Testament scholar, wrote, Here is the commissioning of Christ for his public years of itinerant preaching, teaching, and healing. Jesus coming out. Jesus' introduction to the people of Israel, to the people he came to minister to, the people he came to offer God's kingdom to. And to do it by being baptized. This is a rather dramatic event. The drama of the event explains the significance. It was very dramatic for two reasons the visual realities, and the audible realities. The visual signal showed God's involvement in his life. It says uh, the heavens were torn open. The word torn, it's, it's the word schizo. We get our word schizophrenic, the, the splitting apart of the personality, of the mind. The heavens were torn open. And if we go back and read Isaiah 63, the people of Israel back in Isaiah's day were saying, look down from heaven. From your lofty throne, holy and glorious, and see us. Where are your zeal and your might? Where is your tenderness and compassion? They are withheld from us. You, Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from old is your name. Return for the sake of your salvation. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And anybody who understood these Old Testament prophecies, and most of Jesus' audience, most of the people who were there being baptized and, and listening to John preach would have been familiar with this great hope that Isaiah expressed, rend the heavens, split the heavens and come down. And when Jesus was baptized, the heavens were rent, the heavens were opened. As Mark put it, the heavens were torn apart. And this great visual of of, of, of when Jesus came up out of the waters, he stepped up out of the Jordan, the heavens were opened up, and the Spirit was descending on him like a dove. And, and to think that, well, was this the beginning of the Holy Spirit's life in Jesus? Absolutely not. To think that God's Son was not always filled with the Spirit is absurd. And yet this visual of, of a, it appeared like a dove coming down and descending on him, was part of the drama of the moment because God and Jesus wanted the people to know this is God's Son. Isaiah 42 said, I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. And so visibly, the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and rested on Jesus. So everybody could say, the heavens were opened 
And the Spirit of God descended on this Jesus of Nazareth, this hick carpenter from Galilee. Who is this guy? He didn't go to the right schools. He wasn't born in the right family. But he is the anointed Son of God. When he was baptized, and all these people were being baptized, but only once did this event, the heavens opened up and the Spirit came down. And so all we have is Jesus in the water, the Spirit coming down and the, heaven, and the Father speaking out. The whole Trinity is involved in this moment, very visibly, very obviously, because God wanted people to know who is this Jesus, this unassuming, humble man, who came along with all of the sinners who were hearing John preach repentance from sin and were being baptized because of their sin. Now this one, this Jesus, comes and he's baptized? Why? Why would Jesus? We'll see that in just a moment. Hold that point. Because not only was this event dramatized visibly, it was also dramatized audibly. Audible signals show God's involvement with this voice from heaven. God from heaven, this booming voice from heaven, said, you are my son. You are my son. In Psalm 2-7, a messianic psalm, says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So that statement, you are my son, once again to any faithful Jew, would be an, an incredible This one? This, this person here? The Spirit came down out of the heavens that were opened up, and this voice came and said, you are my son. You are my son. And you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my son. I love you. And you bring me great joy. Said this voice from heaven. And I've said that to my sons. Nobody was particularly impressed with that. I don't think my father ever said it to me. <laughs> I wasn't all that impressive. But out of heaven, this one, this one, this is my son. And he brings me great joy. I am well pleased with him. Isaiah 42, the prediction, the prophecy said, Here is my servant whom I have chosen the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And, and, and Matthew quoted that again in Matthew chapter 12 in reference to Jesus. No mistake. This isn't just some yokel that wandered in from Nazareth. Some carpenter who got lost and thought, well, hey, this looks like a good gig. I think maybe I'll do that. Haven't had a shower. I'll go get... No, 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 no. This isn't just some happenstance event for some wandering person. The heavens opened up. The Spirit of God descended on him. 
And this voice out of heaven said, this is my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. He brings me great delight, this baptism. Well, so what? What's the meaning of this? Why so much drama? I mean, all these other people were baptized, and good for them. It was a good thing. They were repenting. They were confessing their sins. John was doing a great work. John, was, John the Baptist was God's forerunner. He was the Elijah who came to announce the good news that God's chosen one is coming, that God's son, God's servant is coming. Well, one of the events meanings is that Jesus was obviously commissioned as God's anointed Messiah, as God's son, as God's servant, as the prophet so embellished and so presented, especially the prophet Isaiah. He fulfilled these Old Testament prophecies. And any thinking Jew would say, this is one special event, and this is one special individual. But it was also an act of obedience. Why was the sinless Son of God baptized along with those who had come to repent of their sins? To respond to John's message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, Matthew records that at this event that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. This is Matthew chapter 3. But John tried to deter him saying, you want me to baptize you? I know who you are. You should be baptizing me. This is crazy. Why am I baptizing you? Jesus replied, let it be so now. Do it, John. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said, I have come to demonstrate to the world that I am totally obedient to my Father's will and I am totally obedient to what it's going to take for me to accomplish my ministry. This is an act of obedience. I'm doing it, first of all, because it's what I have been sent to do. It's what the Father's plan is about. I am obedient. I can't call you to obedience I can't call you to be baptized if I don't demonstrate my own desire to be obedient. Not to be cleansed from my sin. I have no sin. But I still must be obedient to my Father's will and to my calling. Secondly, Jesus was obviously identifying with humanity's need. He was obedient to the Father's calling, but why was that obedience so important? Why, was, why did he need to be baptized? Because to be baptized means to be identified with, to be linked with, to be part of. And Jesus said, I am fully God, undiminished deity, but I also am full humanity. And so I want people to see I am so identified with these people I came to save that I am being baptized as they are. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness 
preaching a baptism of repentance, Mark tells us, for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And then Matthew tells us Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be done so now. It is proper for us to fulfill this righteousness. And Luke tells us when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And Jesus said, my passion is to identify with these people. With these people who recognize they need salvation. They need to be cleansed from their sins. Jesus identified himself with the least, the last, the lowest, and the lost. Like you and me. Jesus was condemned because he ate with sinners. He ate and drank at dinners with sinners and tax gatherers because that's who he came to save. His own testimony was, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And that beautiful parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd left the 99 in the wilderness and went to find the one lost sheep. And he rejoiced when he found it. And the woman who lost a coin and turned her house upside down looking for it, and when she found it, she rejoiced and called her neighbors in and said, celebrate with me, I found my lost coin. And the father whose son went away, and when he saw his son coming up the road, he called for the fattened calf to be killed and barbecued and make up some margaritas. We're going to have a party here, baby. He's home! Wow! Celebrate! And Luke tells us in that parable, Jesus said in that parable twice, in the same way I tell you, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner who repents than over 99, don't lose the iron here, righteous people, you hypocrites who are condemning me for eating with these sinners, they're who I came for. That's why I was baptized, so they would say, he's one of us. He's human, fully, totally. He obeys his Father, he obeys his commission, and he identifies with us, with all of us coming and being baptized, and we're all crowded around there, we're celebrating, we're patting each other on the back because we've come to have repentance of our sins, and John's baptized right in the middle is this guy, Jesus. And he steps in the water, and boom, up he comes and walks out of the water, and heaven opens up. The dove comes down, and a voice comes out of heaven. Woo! Yeah, this is why I came, Jesus said. For people like you, for preachers like him, felons. <laughs> Who forgot to get their drivers? I didn't forget. They just took it away from me, those cotton pick. I, sorry, sir, I'm not supposed to say that. But anyway, you get it. You, you get the, do you get it? Do you see it? 
Jesus so needed and wanted to be identified with the people he came to save that he went and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And he was really setting up his own command because at the end of his life, before he went back to heaven, he said, go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So at the end of his ministry, he was crucified between two thieves. At the beginning of his ministry, he was baptized with a whole host of people who had come to repent of their sins. And that characterized his whole ministry. And when he says to us, go into all the world and make disciples, he's saying, those are the folks I want you to be hanging out with. It's good to come to church on Sunday morning, and it's good to have your Bible studies and your little holy huddles. It's great. You need fellowship. You need to support each other. You need to pray for each other. But you also need to put your blue jeans and your T-shirts on and get out with the folks like Jesus did and identify with them, not by committing sin, not by getting down in the gutter. No, 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 but by being a model of holiness, of godliness, to people who desperately need to know Jesus. Well, all four Gospels attach immediately, right after the baptism, it says the devil, Satan himself, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted. Mark put it very simply, didn't he? Right after the baptism, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Interesting, all four, all three of the synoptics say that the Spirit, the Spirit who had descended on him, the Spirit who was abiding in him, led him into the desert to be tempted. Why would the Holy Spirit lead somebody to be tempted. Well, this event validated Jesus' identification as our Savior and High Priest. We'll come to that. At once the Spirit led him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. The Spirit led him into the wilderness to provide an opportunity for Jesus to prove the validity of his claim. That he was without sin, not because he was never tried, not because he never had opportunity to sin, but the Spirit of God said, we're going to prove, we're going to allow you to prove, we're going to give you an opportunity to demonstrate the validity of your claim to be the Son of God. And it's not the first time that the Spirit had led people to be tested. Deuteronomy 8 tells, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. Sometimes it is the Spirit of God himself. He never tempts you, but he allows you to be put in places. And sometimes he does bring situations into your life which are neutral, which you have to choose to respond to, either by using it as a test to develop you or a temptation to destroy you. 
James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy when you encounter various tests. The word is pyrosmos. I'm not trying to flatter you with Greek, but that's an important concept. Verses 1 through 12, this word pyrosmos is translated as a test. Count it all joy when you encounter various testings, knowing that the testing of your proof are various trials, trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So there's, as we are tested, as we find ourselves wanting to do things we know we shouldn't do, or not wanting to do, to do things we know we should do, when we're tested by a tragedy in our life, the loss of a loved one, they understand that we have a terrible disease, or these various things. Don't put your thumb in your mouth and curl up in a fetal position and cry. James says, see this as an opportunity to prove to yourself, to prove to the world, to prove to God that you're the real deal. That's what was happening with Jesus as he was sent into the wilderness to be pyrazoed, to be tested, to prove the validity of his claim. Jesus' temptation involved three solicitations to obey his Father's will. And many of you are familiar with this. But the first was to turn rocks into bread and satisfy your appetites with substitutes for God's provision. The Gospels tell us that he was he fasted for 40 days without food. And it was at that time, says Jesus was led by the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days, Matthew tells us, and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> yeah. If I miss my morning snack, I'm hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Satan said, since you are God's son, and the spirit voice from heaven just said you are, since that's true, why should you be hungry? Why should you lack anything? Use your own power to satisfy your hungers. And that temptation is still with us. Instead of depending on God to satisfy our deepest longings, we fill our lives up with junk, thinking, oh, that'll make me happy. If I just buy that, if I just go there, if I just have that experience. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And there are hungers and longings and appetites that are deepest in your whole soul that only I can satisfy. I am the bread of life. And what Satan was saying to Jesus is fill this appetite, these longings that you have with substitutes. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on God's teaching, on God's truth. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. The second temptation was to find safety and security in your own power rather than in God's care. The devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Since you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. 
I'm going to quote scripture to you, Jesus. It's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Quoted that verse from Psalm 91. If you are the Son of God, or since you are the Son of God, yeah, just show these people. Give them a little circus act. Just leap off the thing and watch God's angels come and catch you before you. Jesus said, that's absurd. In fact, what he said is, uh, Jesus answered, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put your, the Lord your God to the test. Don't ask him to do ridiculous things. Stephanie tells me, don't ride your bicycle on that busy highway. God will take care of me. Well, maybe, well, maybe he won't. If I'm stupid enough to do something stupid and say, well, Lord, you said you'd give you a... God said, get a brain, Bubba. You're putting me to the test. The cop who says, I don't need to wear a bulletproof vest. Jesus will take care of me. No, that's not what this is all about. Satan distorted the truth of that passage to try to get Jesus to do something stupid. And Jesus said, that's playing games with God. Deuteronomy says, do not put the Lord your God to the test like the children of Israel. Put God to the test. So the first temptation said, let alternatives satisfy your deepest appetites. You don't need God. The second one says, God will take care of you. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be intelligent. God's always going to take care of you. I have a friend whose father was in the pastorate, and pastors don't have to claim Social Security. And his father said, God will take care of me in my old age. He's now living off his kids and food stamps. He put the Lord, his God, to an improper test. God says, I want you to trust me to meet your greatest needs. I want you to trust me to give you the wisdom to live an intelligent life. And the third test was find an alternative route to fulfilling God's destiny for your life. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. There are two ways to get to your destiny, Satan said, to, be, to rule over the kingdoms. One is to go through the cross. I mean, come on. You don't want to do that. That's hard. I'm giving you an easy way out. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6, he quoted Deuteronomy 6, Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. Do not follow other gods. There's only one way to the destiny that God has for you and the destiny God has for me. And that is by obeying his will and doing it his way. And Satan will always come with an easier path. A path that, caused, that uh, includes disobedience. And just as Jesus said, forget it, I'm not doing that, so do we. So by resisting Satan's testing, Jesus fulfilled his qualifications to function as our high priest. The book of Hebrews says we come to a priest, to a high priest, Jesus 
who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. You can never come to Jesus and say, you know, Lord, I'm struggling with this temptation. Now, I know you don't understand this. Jesus said, hey, I've been tested in every way that you have, but I never failed, and you don't need to either. But graciously, when you do, I died so I could forgive you. You don't have to fail. You don't have to commit sin. But you probably will. And when you do, I will love you, and I will forgive you, and I will accept you. Jesus' baptism and temptations validate his current ministry to you and to me as our high priest.